Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I just kind of a side mark here. Don't ever take my word for it. Don't ever take any pastors, preachers, radio teachers, television evangelists, any of don't ever take their word for it. You are responsible for what you receive. Therefore, when you hear a teaching, you are responsible. Man, let me go back into the Word because, man, what he said today, that, that, that rang a bell for me. Let me see if that's really true, if that's really within the Word of God. It's pretty easy these days to hear false teaching in the church. Jesus warned of this very thing. And if you're not careful, it's easy to become deceived. But as Pastor David points out today, one way to avoid false teaching is to continually, frequently search and know the Scriptures. In order to grow in your faith and intimacy with God and avoid falling away to another voice, you must know God's Word. As you hear messages about the Word, in response to God's faithfulness, invest time to make sure what you're hearing is from God. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he begins his message, Noble Character. Well, when people think about you, think about you personally, do they think of you as a man or a woman of character? Or do they just simply say that you're a real character? (laughs) There is a difference. And being both is okay. But there is a difference. We are in Acts chapter 17 as we've been going through the book of Acts now for a while chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We, as we looked at the earlier portion of Acts 17, we saw that uh, Paul and Silas, their missionary team had come to the city of Thessalonica. That time there had been rich for them. Paul and the missionary team had gone as they normally do. They, They went to the local synagogue and we saw in verse two of chapter 17 that for three Sabbaths they reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So for three weeks, they'd been able to reason from the Old Testament scriptures, again, about the reality of Jesus Christ of Nazareth as being that promised Messiah for all of Israel. Now, I don't doubt that some of you this morning, if I were to ask you, can you tell me from the scriptures about who Jesus is? That you would be able to, from possibly the New Testament, to be able to share some of the things of whom Jesus is. But I also wonder, as, as I look at this and as I study how many of us could, using only the Old Testament, again, bring out the reality and the truth of who Jesus is to a point that 
people could understand that and actually come to faith in Christ. Much more difficult call. Fortunately, we have the New Testament that explains much of the Old Testament for us. Again, the New Testament being the fulfillment of the Old. During those three weeks, Paul and the team, they actually saw firsthand the Lord moving and working in individual lives. As he says there in verse four, some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and, and a few of the leading women. And they joined Paul and Silas. They came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt Thessalonica had been a powerful time in the Lord. As again, they saw the spirit of the Lord moving and working in people's lives. But once again, just as we've shared as we've gone through the book of Acts, anytime the Lord is moving, the enemy is moving because he's gonna do everything that he can to either squelch the message or to uh, do damage to the messenger himself. And so we saw here, as we look there in Thessalonica, not all of the Jews in the synagogue were persuaded by the words of Paul. They didn't all agree with him. As a matter of fact, verse five says that the Jews who were not persuaded, they actually became envious. They went down to the marketplace. They picked out evil men from the marketplace. They gathered together a mob and they set the whole city in an uproar. That's again how those that were not persuaded to the gospel were again acting toward the gospel. Again, as many problems as they gave this new group of believers there in Thessalonica, they could not change the fact that the Spirit of God had actually already begun a powerful work within the lives of many that were in the city there. And Luke and, and perhaps some of the other missionary group, they actually remained in Thessalonica as Paul and Silas and a couple of the others went on from there. Again, because the, of, of all the troublemakers that were there in Thessalonica, many of the believers, they came to Paul and said, look, we need to go ahead and, and bring you out of the city because again, the, the harm that might come to you. And so that's where we're at right now today. Acts 17, beginning in verse 10. You can follow along with me there. Then the brethren, that's those that were in Thessalonica, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Once again, they're in Berea, going back into the synagogue. Verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. And they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, Many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So once again, we see Paul in, in, in his normal custom, his normal order of ways. He goes into the synagogue and he begins his ministry in that area with the Jews of the synagogue. And once again, we see eyes that are being opened up. We see hearts that are being changed by the solid teaching of the word of God. Now, did you catch the difference, though, between the synagogue and the people of Berea and the synagogue and the people of Thessalonica? In the English version, uh, in my New King James version, it says that the Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Some of your versions might say noble-minded or more noble or more open-minded or even more noble of character. 
Now, the actual word that Luke uses here, earlier on, years prior to this, the word and the use of the word meant more along the idea that they were more of noble birth or they were being high born. In other words, they came from good stock, you know. And by the time of the New Testament here, as Luke is writing, it comes with that idea that they were willing to consider new ideas, and yet they weren't easily persuaded without some sort of proof. And so we see clearly here in Luke's statement, they received the word with all readiness. They were willing to receive the word, but they didn't let it set there because it says that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I just kind of a side mark here. Don't ever take my word for it. Don't ever take any pastors, preachers, radio teachers, television evangelists, any of don't ever take their word for it. You are responsible for what you receive. Therefore, when you hear a teaching, you are responsible. Man, let me go back in the word because, man, what he said today, that, that, that rang a bell for me. Let me see if that's really true, if that's really within the word of God. And you need to understand that for these Bereans here, this wasn't some emotional response. It wasn't some feel-good message that Paul was giving them. No, it was a well-thought-out response that the Bereans had to the truth that Paul was sharing with them. That's the kind of a response, that's the kind of a commitment to the Lord that then isn't so easily swayed by all the variety of doctrines, all the variety of false teachings that come into the church. They were there at that point in time in the first century, and beloved, they are there here today in our century. Again, that kind of a commitment, the idea of being willing to search the scriptures, to really look and see, is what they're saying found within the word of God. Guys, that's going to make you able to be able to stand in the middle of trials, in in the midst of persecutions. You'll, You'll be able to stand in truth when false doctrines come your way. Why? Because you are a student of the word. As a matter of fact, when you and I truly become people of the book, Do you realize that that Muslims call you and I as Christians people of the book? Because we believe in this book. But you know what? When you and I really and truly become people of the book, that's when we're strengthened against all the heresies, the false teachings that are coming about continually and have since the first century. But one of the problems that we're facing in our culture today, I'm just going to be real straightforward to you, and I'm not so naive to think that this is happening to all the rest of the church, but it's not happening to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. No, I I believe it's happening even with us. The problem is within our culture is that people, those of us who call ourselves believers, literally the church in general, really and truly are not people of the book. We're not. 
Uh, some of you may have heard the name Ed Stetzer before. Ed Stetzer has been around for a number of years. Uh, he's an author, a speaker, he's a researcher, he's a pastor, he's a church planner. He holds two master's degrees and two doctorates. He's a pretty intelligent guy, uh, doing a lot of research. He is the regional director of the Lusane Committee for World Evangelism. He's frequently cited or interviewed even on such secular sources as CNN and USA Today. He's a regular contributor to North American discussion in reference to the missional church, to church planting, to church revitalization, as well as Christian cultural engagement. He's also co-host on Breakpoint This Week, which is a radio program that is also hosted by a fellow by the name of John Stone Street, and with an unbiased uh, uh, plug for this, that's heard on KVNG Grace 91.1 uh, every Sunday after evening at 6.30, so be sure and tune in tonight. He is currently actually serving as the interim teaching pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. Many of you have probably heard of Moody Church. Well, Stetzer has written a multitude of articles as well as books. One of the articles he wrote, uh, and this actually came to my attention earlier this week. It was back in 2015. He wrote an article that was titled, The Epidemic of Biblical Illiteracy in Our Churches. The Epidemic of Biblical Illiteracy in Our Churches. In the article he states, and I quote, Christians claim to believe the Bible is God's word. We claim it's God's divinely inspired, inerrant message to us. And yet, despite this, we aren't reading it. LifeWay research found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Guys, that's the ones that regularly attend. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. And almost one in five churchgoers say they never read their Bible. One in five. Interesting, he states that that's essentially the same on the other end of the scale of those that say that they read it every day. One in five Christians read it every day, one in five don't read it at all, and then everybody else, they're in the middle someplace. He continues on, while 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place, 45% believe that there are many ways to get there, including one in five evangelical Christians. And I would bear to state that it's probably that one in five that aren't reading their Bible, okay? More than half of evangelicals, and that's what we are, okay? More than half of evangelicals, 59%, believe the Holy Spirit is an essence or a force, but not a personal being, which is in absolute contrast to Orthodox Christianity that teaches that the Trinity is three persons in one God. As a whole, he writes, Americans, including many Christians, hold unbiblical views of hell, sin, salvation, Jesus, humanity, and the Bible itself. 
man, that's a, that's a pretty heavy charge. That was back only uh, four years ago. I don't think we've gotten any better. To help you kind of understand how that situation impacts you individually, each one of us individually, we've got a test we're going to do. I want this to be between you and God. I've got six questions I'm going to ask you today, and I want to know how biblical you are, how much you know and understand. There was a time, particularly in the United States, where nearly every school child could quote the Ten Commandments. Can you quote the Ten Commandments? And can you do them even in order? Simple things like having no other gods, having no graven images, not taking his name in vain, remembering the Sabbath, honoring your parents, not murdering, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Seems pretty simple, but how many of us, if pushed to the point, could say, yes, I know the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you this other one. Where would you find, where would you find the story of Jonah? Some of you might laugh at that, but the fact is, is some of you are wondering right now, I'm not real sure. I'll give you a hint. Job's story is in the book of Job. I'll let you figure out where Jonah's story is. Another question. Did Jesus ever really, Jesus himself, did Jesus ever really talk about hell? Or was that something that was, again, later in the letters to the churches? Did Jesus really ever talk about hell? Actually, he spoke about hell more often than he spoke about heaven. We can find it all through the Gospels. Here's one that every one of you ought to know. Can you name me the three disciples that actually ended up being the closest to Jesus? The three disciples that we find through the gospel accounts ended up being, you know, in, in special times with Jesus. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Matthew, Mark, or Luke, okay? <laughs> That's the gospel writers and John. Peter, James, and John, the three closest ones. Here's another one that might be a little bit more difficult for you, if, if you've passed these first four, that is. Where in the Bible does it speak of the idea or the doctrine that in Adam all have sinned, or because of Adam's fall, every individual is born with a sin nature? Now, some of you are probably wondering, wait a minute, everybody's born with a sin nature? You haven't been listening for very long if you've been attending here. Everyone is born with a sin nature. But where there's a particular place in the Word of God that just makes that so plain and so clear. If you guessed in the book of Romans, you are correct. If you guessed mostly and more directly in chapter 5 of the book of Romans, you hit the nail right on the head. Now, he says it other places, and Paul goes on beyond that in other places, but in particular, Romans 5, he nails it down that in Adam all have sinned. Sixth and the last one. How are we doing so far? Where would you find the statement, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, 
It is the gift of God. We quote that, we speak of that often. Do you know where it's found? It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Guys, if we call ourselves believers, if we say that we believe this book, we need to be students of the book. We need to be people of the book. Otherwise, we are so easily deceived. Somebody comes in with a small portion of the truth. Oh, yes, I connect with that. And then they add a little more, a little more, a little more to it. And suddenly we are drawn into deception, thinking that we're standing in the truth. Even within what you and I would believe to be Christian denominations or or ministries, You've got to understand, false and at least questionable doctrines abound in them. And that's why each one of us need to be students of the Word of God. That was a continual concern for Paul, even in the first century. He wrote over and over again. He wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I fear for you, lest somehow... Just as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well Put up with it. Why? Because somebody, a very charismatic personality or someone who says, oh, listen, uh, God gave me this vision. God spoke to me. An angel came and appeared to me and shared these things. That's why Paul warned the church in Ephesus. He said, you know what? You, You need to know what the word teaches. You need to no longer be as children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery or the deceitfulness of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You think it was happening just in the first century? No, it's happening right now, today. Paul told Timothy, his young protege, he said, every believer needs to be able to rightly divide the word of truth, to be able to shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Oh, but this sounds so spiritual and so good. And we bite into it, hook, line, and sinker. And we actually end up going further and further away from the truth. Even John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 4. He said, beloved, oh, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's why when somebody comes up and says, man, the spirit of God has spoken this to me, I'm going to say, whoa, hold on a second. How does what they are saying line up with the word of God? Is it adding something that is not there? Is it putting something that is contrary to what the word declares? Time out. Don't tell me that God has given you personally a brand new revelation that he has not revealed anywhere else within his word. 
The danger was so real in the first century that Paul tells the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter one, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make a small-